Welcome to Casting Nets. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Dave Rudat. I am joined here today with uh, Pastor um, David Endorf from Brooklyn Heights Lutheran, Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Good morning. And we have our special guest, our uh, Rochelle Manzano, who is a, she's got a lot of acronyms up behind her name, but tell me your title, please. Um, I work for Christian Family Solutions, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Exactly. That's She's got really cool acronyms after her name. She should have one more cool acronym, which is PGE, which is Podcast Guest Extraordinaire. That's the, the, you should have that title at the end of her, of her show. Today, we're, uh, we're talking about re- resiliency, which is, I think is a very timely topic, not just in our secular world, but also in our Christian world as well, as we have our starting school. How can we, um, how can we uh, give tools to our parents to be more resilient for themselves and also for our parents as well to teach their children what it means to be resilient? But before we do so, it's a disclaimer. These are uh, two pastors and a licensed medical, licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, sharing their thoughts we don't necessarily represent the views held by our church body or the organization that we work for uh, christian family solutions we are just having a conversation we are letting you in on a conversation what's going on uh, talking about this topic uh, we're here to learn we're here to start the conversation not to end the conversation that this would be a rant of some sort um, but we encourage your comments please make some comments in the side below if you have questions uh, as we go through, if you want to email us afterwards, if the, you're watching this on demand, you can email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com, and we'll make sure it gets to the right people. You can also uh, talk to us in person at Brooklyn Lutheran Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, with uh, Pastor Dave Endorf. You can talk to Rochelle. Uh, she is working at our high schools, um, at Manitowoc Lutheran High School and also Fox Valley Lutheran High School. So she has an office in both of those campuses, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, so you got offices at both of those campuses. So, um, she's she's available to talk, and also you can talk to me at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Shirley, Wisconsin. So, uh, without further ado, let's get the music and go right into our topic. Okay, so the topic of resiliency, as I talked about in the introduction, is I think it's a topic that we're hearing not just in parenting and school settings, uh, family settings as well. Uh, Rochelle, can you help us give us a working definition of what is resiliency? Yeah, you know, it's not hard to search, uh, search resiliency, the definition of resiliency on Google nowadays, but um, so I'm going to just quickly just talk about it um, in layman terms, but it's just really quickly, how quickly you can bounce back after a struggle or a problem or a challenge. Um, Today, I think we're gonna talk about a little bit about two kinds of problems that we can have in our life, and I'm gonna call them rocks and Play-Doh. Rocks are gonna be the problems that are unmovable or they they feel like they're gonna sink you or, or really heavy. Um, the Play-Doh problems are going to be the problems that are more pliable, changeable. They're going to feel a little bit lighter. Um, but going a little bit further into it, as we talk about how to quick, how to maybe more quickly bounce back, and I think that's what what our, we're going to reflect on today is um, 
we're going to talk about the tools that maybe you can strengthen to help you bounce back more quickly from those types of problems. Uh, what do you think is the most important spiritual component to a person's resili- resiliency? That is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start that conversation. And seeing as how you guys are the experts in that Christian part, right, that theological part, um, I think I'm going to let you guys, you know, definitely weigh in on that. But the most important spiritual component of a person's resiliency is that we make sure that we're rooted in the word all the time, that when we're thinking about how to bounce back, that we're looking at it from the perspective of our, you know, how much are we giving glory to God? Are we giving glory to God the way that we need to? I could also see definitely uh, bouncing back is hearing the external word of uh, having someone like a counselor or a pastor share God's word with them because the self-talk that we have going on in our heads when we have these difficulties, whether they are things that are going to sink us or whether they're smaller adversities, can sometimes really <laughs> either sink us even further or just make something that's a Plato problem into a rock problem. Wouldn't you agree, Dave and Rochelle? I, I would go in slightly a, a different direction. I'm all for the means of grace. But I I would say that, you know, it's that understanding that we get from the means of grace that, you know, God's going to bless even our failures. And so you you have that understanding of like Elijah under the the broom tree, he says, you know, I'm the last one left and they're going to kill me too. And then God says, you know, go and take a vacation. And, and he spends 40 days in the desert and, and yet and yet in that we get to see, um, you know, God uses him as a type of Christ. You know, he uses the man of God in the Old Testament to point to the man of God in the, the New Testament. And and so we understand as Christians that even when he took a vacation, God blessed it as part of his plan of salvation. And so that, you know, we have that understanding. It's not about the stuff that I do but it's what God is already doing and is always doing. And so, you know, this rock may sink me, but God's still going to bless it. Good things are still going to happen. Good things are still going to come. Yeah. Whatever the rock is, it doesn't define me, but rather my identity that is found in Christ. Um, And then also the, uh, uh, a calling that God has given us a calling in life. And he says, this is what you are, to do and whatever it is student whether it's parent whether it's it's child and the one who calls is faithful the one who um as um uh, as was mentioned in our emails contact before with proverbs 24 verse 16 the righteous fall but then they come back um, because god is with them through his means of grace sometimes and probably most importantly coming from an external source not from within because sometimes our our own brains and our own minds um can get a sidetracked And maybe to speak about that a little bit more from like, uh, you know, a mental health side, I, I do definitely have this conversation a lot with clients. Um, I think a societal message is make sure that you're happy, (laughs) do what makes you happy, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you don't like it, change it. 
And, and I will talk with clients a lot. Like that is not what God asks us to do, right? He, he says, be content with where I put you essentially. And if that is in a place where it's a rock, kind of like what, you know, Pastor Endorf was saying, just know that I'm still going to bless the world through that. Mm -hmm. Bless you and bless the world. And so I call it walking through the muck. That's, I do use that terminology in session. And, and I say, sometimes what God is asking us to do is walk through the muck. But again, it's going to be, how are you going to give glory to God while you're walking through the muck? So right at the bat, we can see that even though there's resiliency used in a secular world about uh, trying to adjust your circumstances, really the better component is the looking at it from a Christian perspective. So if you're going to a, a, a counselor for resiliency that's a secular counselor, you are this is what you're going to be missing. Uh, you're going to be missing a Christian counselor reminding you of this. God has given you your certain callings. God is, is not not going to abandon you as you're dealing with your rocks or your Play-Dohs. Um, and uh, there are times for the Christian when we just have to, as Jesus said in our gospel lesson last Sunday, deny themselves and and take up their cross and follow after him, recognizing that the one who has called us to do this is the one who's actually there. He's not just saying, good luck with that. Um, but he is saying, I'm there with you uh, through these means of grace. Uh, any other follow-up questions, Dave, or can we move on to our next question? Oh, go right ahead. Yeah, that was a hard-hitting question, but I, I really wanted to differentiate from uh, resiliency right off the bat from what, and to help our listeners to understand that resiliency in a Christian sense is different than resiliency that they might see in the secular world. And thank you for bringing that up. Uh, our secular world is looking for your own happiness and, and, and those kinds of things where we're looking at to how can we glorify God? How can... Um, how can we give glory to God even in the midst of our difficulties and how can he serve us uh, so that we can give glory to God because <laughs> it's not something we can do by ourselves. Uh, my next question that I had for you was, what are the traits that parents should look for as they evaluate their own resiliency? Yeah, and, you know, as I think about the, I have little cheat sheets here because nine is a lot to remember. <laughs> Especially when I have so much running through my mind. Right? Nine components, okay. Nine components, yep. And so, you know, maybe you want to write them down. And and I think as I was thinking about this podcast and, and talking about these traits, I think the thing that kind of kept coming to my mind is where can you see that you can grow in some of these traits, right? I I can guarantee all of us are going to not be as strong in all nine of these as we want to be, right? And so it's just like, oh, yeah, that is something that maybe I don't necessarily struggle with, that specific trait. But this one, this one I could put a little bit more time and attention to, right? And so that just gave you enough time to run and grab a pen and paper to write these things down. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Um, so the first the first trait is going to be pervasiveness. And the trait of essentially what the trait of pervasiveness talks to is how are we looking at a challenge? So, oh, I'm sorry. Nope, I got that wrong. I got that wrong. I switched my papers up. It's not going to be how we look at the challenge. It's going to be how are we allowing it to permeate our lives? Are we seeing it for what it is? Are we seeing it like, hey, this is a work problem? This is a home problem? And not carrying it into other areas of our life. 
someone that needs to maybe work on this trait is going to go to work and you know they're not going to they're not going to be as productive as they want to be because they're thinking about the thing that's happening at, happening at home or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the first trait. Any any insight that you guys have from that theological perspective? Um, this is this is putting things in the right box is really good. I mean, when you have mm-hmm. when you're in marriage counseling and the guy comes home and um, he's got a bad day at work and then all of a sudden he snaps at his wife or she does the same. You know, it can be the the other way around, where all of a sudden now your your whole family life is now spinning out of control. For parents as well, your kids comes home and they. Maybe they had something that happened on the bus, and now the parent just asked them a question, and the kid snaps at them, and now all of a sudden the parents are like, what's going on here? And the parent doesn't take time to say, maybe my child has not gotten this skill yet to put things in their proper boxes. Um, My other question is, and I know sometimes we say guys are usually more prone to put things in the boxes and and just kind of leave them there, but and then the girls, generally speaking, have the spaghetti brain where everything is interconnected. Uh, do you feel that this is really something true when it comes to pervasiveness, or can both um, both genders uh, um, bring things in from other areas of their life that aren't welcome? I think I, you know, like in my field, I can see it in both ways. I think that there's pressures that men have, right, typically from a from a role of a man and woman to provide that that can permeate into other areas of their life. Um, I, I don't know where I remember hearing this from, but I read somewhere about a, a man who, before he got home, would pull over on the side of the road and just spend five minutes praying, just asking God to take all of those things that he dealt with for that day and just hold them for him until he could get back, he could get back to work the next day so that he could go home and just be there for his family. Um, do it too, right? I'm one of them. I'm not going to deny it. But yeah, men are better. Going back, yep, go ahead. Going back before the 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 gender question, um, you know, I would say that that this is where we have that proper relationship of, you know, the the first commandment. You know, that what does it mean to keep God first in our lives? You know, it's not a, a checklist of, okay, I did God and now I do my job and my family. It's, you know, God is first and he gives me my job and my family. And and so these are all then blessings I make use of. And so we we have this understanding of, all of these things are, are blessings we make use of, and it's not, okay, I, I, I had to take care of my job, and now I have to take care of my family. It's, I, had a, I have the blessing of my job, now I have the blessing of my family. And so we have that positive attitude of um, not, not looking at all of these things as problems we have to deal with, but as blessings we get to enjoy from God because he's already forgiven us. He's going to take care of us and we get to enjoy these things. Not these are things we have to take care of. Otherwise the world's going to fall apart. And and with that first commandment understanding, you know, the pervasiveness of problems, you know, 
has a, a solid foundation, a Christian foundation to be dealt with. Number two. Number two is personalization. This one, this is a good one. Um, I do think that a lot of people struggle with this one, at least in my in my line of work. Um, but it's essentially, can you see the situation for what it is? That you're not taking a situation and blame, putting all the blame on yourself or um, essentially that you can see the whole picture and say, okay, maybe I had a part of it in this area, but the rest of this I don't have to carry. So are you saying that a person's ego is something that really can get in the way of, of being able to bounce back because you take everything so personally, like there's a setback, you take it personally, and then now you can't, you can't function, you can't bounce back because now you're busy punishing yourself? Yes. Say, this is one where, um, you know, sitting and talking with people as a pastor, I can, I can say, you know, this is what God says in his word. You know, there's a difference between guilt and guilt feelings. You're guilt free here. You know, this isn't your fault. And, but when it comes to myself, totally different situation, (laughs) you know? So, so what you got? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't. What do I have? You, Dave, I don't know, whoever. That's such a good insight because uh, it is good for us to differentiate between guilt feelings and actual guilt. And that's where, you know, confession, absolution, private confession, absolution is such a good thing. Or, um, and or talking to you with a counselor that you can, you can bounce this off another individual so that they can help you see uh, you're making this too personal, or uh, you know, a pastor can say, "You've got guilt here. Let me forgive that. Let me remind you that these guilt feelings are are not welcome because they aren't like you said. Like you said, Dave, you're forgiven in Christ, and uh, um, get rid of this. Uh, um, I was going to say uh, uh, accusing the accuser, the accuser inside of each one. Of oh, us. Your, your conscience is not accurate since the fall into sin." I, I was also thinking that that you know this is just hard to do for yourself. You know that that you know looking, it's just much easier to look to somebody else and say this isn't your fault, and and this is where it's nice to have somebody in your life who you can say, is this my fault? Did I screw up? And yeah, that's a blessing. I think, I think in my line of work, you know, and when I'm meeting with a client, I think what becomes the most effective is talking with them about what part of it do you have to take responsibility for and let go of the part of it that you don't have to take responsibility for and then think about what you need to do in that part that is your responsibility. So whether it's going to the other person and apologizing, right, saying I'm sorry for this part of it, but not having to take it all on. And when we take it all on, it can cause resentment because we don't, we probably know deep down inside that we don't, it's not all of ours to carry, but then it also frees us from, from needing to, to carry that other part. Number three. Number three, positive image of the future. Um, this is, 
I'm going to look a little bit, I'm going to use that walking in the muck scenario a little bit. For me, it's just because I'm in that low point in life or walking through the muck at this time, I know that it's not going to stay that way forever. So maybe it's not going to get taken away, but I know down the road, this is not something that's going to be affecting me right now anymore. Yeah, uh, hope for the future would be a, a good thing for parents to recognize as they're in, right in the muck of raising their children. But then it is also something really hard for parents to teach their children. Uh, this too shall pass because so many times our teens or our kids are going things, going through things the first time. And so emotionally it hits them a lot harder. And so for I, um, as as parents, that's a, that is a struggle, something that we need to address about the... Uh, uh, the ability to to have hope for the future. And if we look at it, you know, I think for me, this one speaks a lot um, in, in a parenting room. I just even have one word behind this, and it's just contentedness. It goes back to that part where we, you know, what we talked about with what's the most important spiritual component. Uh, and for me, you know, parents these days don't, we, well, I, and I shouldn't say these days, parents don't like to see their kids suffer period. But I think that maybe I wonder if parents from older generations handle, not handled it, but they just did. allowed it, allowed it better. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the pendulum is swinging, right? It's going from one generation where they just, you just throw them out there and they'll, they'll figure it out. The John Wayne throwing the kid in the river and he'll figure out how to swim um, versus a helicopter parent who is never going to let their parent uh, suffer. So it's always kind of going back and forth. Well, I think some of that is, you know, the the media and the messages parents are bombarded with of, look, if you try to parent your kids, they're going to resent you and they're going to hate you and they're never going to talk to you when they get older. And then on the other hand, if you don't parent your kids, they're going to be spoiled brats and they're going to grow up to be jerks. So good luck, because whatever you do, it's not going to work. And and there just isn't hope presented to parents. There isn't, you know, either. Sorry, this is my own rent, but. You know, there there isn't that my three sons kind of father who could, you know, give good advice because he loved his kids. And if you had a loving parent presented to their family, it was, yeah, this works out. And so, yeah, I think be nice to parents because the world is really hard on them. And it is hard to suffer. You know, I have kids that are teenagers and I can tell you it breaks my heart to watch them suffer. And there's times where I just have to go to my husband and say, talk me through this because, you know, I don't know that I can hold this pain. Um, but that's the power of a of a Christian marriage is to be able to lean on each other because he can say it's going to be fine. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That's all I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why just me not saying that to myself doesn't work, right? I need that from somebody else. Yeah, it's interesting how God puts us in communities so that we would speak the external word to each other. <laughs> and that is powerful and effective. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm good with number three. Let's, I'm ready for number four. All right, number four, challenge. So this is the one that I was kind of talking about a little bit earlier. Challenges, um, <clears throat> How are you seeing or how are you viewing the difficulty? 
Are you are you viewing it as a, a you know something that's going to sink you or something that you're going to get through? Is it going to be something that I'm I'm never going to be able to move from or that I'm going to learn from? And I think another part of this is um, the challenges that come in your come up in your life do not reflect on your worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I can bring the you know kind of the crisis theme idea up with this, right? Is that me struggling doesn't mean doesn't make me any less in God's eyes. I think about a a mother who pointed out to me once about a, a crying two year old. You know that this could very well be the worst day of their life because of what they've gone through, and they're they're like twenty four months old. You know, and you know, um, and so when we look at challenges like that, it, it's easy to think about kids who are struggling. Why are you struggling with this? It's so tiny, but it, it it's the worst day of their life so far. Um, but you know, we can help them through that and recognize and help them keep things in perspective. You are going to get through this. It's not going to sink you, and you're going to look back on this someday and, and be blessed in your faith and be strong and mature and having grown. And I, I think that's a joy as a, a a Christian that we get to share with other people. You know, look at what you're going to be. You're going to be strong. You're going to be untouched by the wind and the waves of this world. And, and that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Number five. Number five. Um, commitment. This one's a little loaded. Um, this is one that I like to talk about in therapy as well, but it's um, how are you going to live your life? So it's the commitment of how you're going to live your life, regardless of what happens to you or or um, what's happening around around you. Hmm. So can you give us an example of that? Would that be something like if your kid is struggling with school and you just say, we're going we're to be committed to doing the work for this or the kid didn't get the, uh, is not the f- on the football team or the, not a starter. It's like, you're, you're going to stay through, stay on the team until the season is over or what, do, what are we talking mm-hmm. about here? That, um, another example would be, so I think a lot of times, you know, what I'm, what I'm seeing in high school specifically is that someone tries out for something and then maybe they don't make it. And it's, and it's, I'm not going to, treat my friend bad who did make it just, you know, just because um, I'm feeling bad. I'm still going to, I'm still going to treat them with the love and the encouragement that I did before the whole tryout thing happened. So it's, I'm, or someone, you know, some, someone does, some kid does or says something, or, you know, some parent does or says something, and I'm not going to go down to their level. Right. I think that's probably what the wording that we use the most often. It's I have made a commitment to myself and to and to God 
that I'm I'm going to act this way. And regardless of what's happening to me or what's happening around me, I'm going to continue to act that way no matter what. So what you're describing is a form of self-control, like this is the addressing of the self-control of the individual as they're engaging in something that's difficult for them. Yes. Yeah. So, so the people that can maintain their commitment to themselves or to the promises that they've made to God are going to be more resilient. It's a hard one. What I think, what I think I'm hearing from Pastor Rudet though, is that we need all of the teenagers to watch the movie Rudy and to understand this is this is the type of person you need to be. You need to be like Rudy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good movie. Good movie. Number six. Number six, personal control. Um, so this is going to be a focus on, so when challenges come to you, um, focusing on what's in your control in that challenge versus what's not in your control. So what would be in your control would be your response to the, the challenge. So you have parents who say um, when a, a kid comes off the bus and they're for some reason they're all upset, okay, what I can control is how I, the level of, of tone that's in my voice. Is that what you're saying? Right. So for using that example, I can't control that my kid is emotional at this point, but I can control how I approach them, the words I use, the tone I use. Um, even when we're taught, you know, helping kids learn that you can't control that your teacher um, assigned you a test tomorrow, but you can't control how you use your time management for tonight. So let me help you figure that out. Because when you focus on what's in your control, it just all it does is it creates ruminating thoughts and then it actually becomes less productive than if you figure out what's in your control, because the, the things that are in your control are the things you can actually take action on. That doesn't take the problem away. Right. But so, there's a sense of hope there. Okay. So I, I see a lot. Of, this is where I see a lot of um, how our, the field of psychology has been helpful for, for an individual as they're engaging all these inputs that are coming in, engaging in their, what, what things should I focus on? Should I not? Should I focus on the things that I can actually do action on? Or do I focus on the things that I can't, recognizing the things that I can't? take action on are you are likely going to send me into a personal cycle where it just spins and nothing will good will come from that. I'll just add as far as the things that, you know, aren't in our control, at least from a, a human perspective, you know, these are the things that we get to take to God in prayer. And so I may not be able to take direct action, and they're not directly in my control. But, um, and, and this is where I write out prayers sometimes, and 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 it's good for me, um, you know. And, and I can just say, I've prayed about it. It's in God's hands. Um, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's done, and and move on. And and that's it. Uh, and, and that's something you know you try to encourage other people to do. It's you know you're not helpless, but you don't have to control it. 
because God who died on died on the cross for you is in control. And that's the the wonderful, you know, again, foundation that believers have. Yeah. Good comment of writing out prayers. Mm-hmm. And even bringing up that prayer thing, that is one thing that will come up a lot in session. Like you can pray for them. And, you know, but if you think about it, what probably feels a little off-putting to us is praying for that thing or that person that's putting that boundary or that challenge in our life. Pray for your enemies. Somebody said that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get it. It is uncomfortable. I've done that too, where as a pastor, it's the, the, the parishioner who is making my life difficult Um it is very difficult, I'll say that from personal experience, just to sit there and pray for their welfare and not just pray that, they, you know, it's tempting just to, you know, God, teach them so that they, they, they listen to me. But no, God, help them in their life as well and help them grow in their faith. So you're actually, um, you're praying for their best and not just praying for what's your best. Right, and that's where from, you know, last week's gospel lesson of, you know, if you if you deny yourself, you're going to find your life. You know, I remember reading a, a book on you know pastoral leadership that encouraged you to especially uh, be social with you know and spend social time with the people in the ministry who were causing you problems. You know, and and it's a good idea. Um, because then you, you get to understand these are people who are causing you problems in the ministry specifically because they love the church. They just have a different idea about how it should be run than you do. Um, you know, there's a reason why they stay in the church. There's a reason why they're there at every voters meeting. There's a reason why, you know, they, they keep being a thorn in your side. And, and so that when you spend social time with them, you, you can work through those things. And, and so very often I've found, you know, that Jesus' words are true. That seems like an obvious thing I should have understood. But it, um, you, you do find your life in those things that, oh, hey, hey look, doing it God's way is a better thing to do because... This is what I wanted to accomplish, and doing it God's way works. Yeah, and I could see that with parenting and tell, telling your kids, hang out with the kid that's causing you difficulty, get to know them, parents as well, uh, the the other parent on the teams or the other parents that are affiliated with the school, um, force yourself to to have a relationship with them because it's much easier to demonize someone you don't know. And it's much more easier for you to take people's words and actions in the kindest possible way when you actually have a relationship with them. Yes, and that is what's really important in therapy. And I'm going to call myself out here, but I don't want you, you know, I feel like I'm setting myself up here. But when I do have someone that I feel like I have an inner conflict with, I will take the time to just talk to them and get to know them. Because when you do have a relationship, it is harder, right? And so now everyone's going to think that when I talk to them, it's because I don't like them, which is not true. So, but you're talking but, to us. <laughs> I'm ready for number seven. All right. So the next one is permanence. 
And you're gonna notice that some of these overlap. Um, I think it's hard not to, but we're just kind of trying to separate them a little bit. Um, so this is gonna be, how are you going to see challenges? Are you gonna see them as something that's just affecting your life in the here and now and eventually will pass? Or is it something that's gonna continue to affect you long-term? Very similar to the positive image of the future, but I think the difference is, the permanence is seeing it as temporary and the positive image is being able to look into the future and, and be able to see like, hey, this isn't gonna always be this way. Okay. I don't have any comments on that. Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. Number eight. Oh, I got comments. Okay. I, oh, yeah. Go, go ahead. Well, and I think as, as believers, you know, we recognize, you know, that this side of heaven, there may be permanent problems. You know, they're going to be, had one kid, uh, I taught at Manitowoc Lutheran, who was going to have health problems his entire life. But they weren't going to follow him into heaven, you know. And so we can say with confidence, this too will pass. But we can also say, you know, as we take up our cross, that it's worth it, you know, and that these problems, the the glory far outweighs them all. And so, um, you know, we can always say something that the secular counselor can't, you know, that this problem is not permanent because it will not follow you to heaven. And what's going to happen when you get to heaven is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that God is then going, and then you're going to understand, how did God use this as part of his plan of salvation? Because that's what he uses everything for, you know, and that's the the promise of Romans chapter 8. And, and so we get to see that it's worth it. It's not easy. Um, and so, you know, with, with permanence, sometimes it is permanent, but it's worth it. And, and then you get to also explain to, to kids especially, it's not permanent. It's your first breakup. It's a it's a class you failed. It's, you know, you were never going to make it in sports anyway. You're going to get over it. High school is not life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even just being able to approach life with the problem of, or with that mindset of, so what if it is permanent? It's still going to be worth it is, you know, deals with that fear of, well, what if this does last forever? Then it's worth it. And, and and then you can start to rationally approach, is it really permanent? Right. And that's the rock and the Play-Doh, right? Some some problems are rocks. They're not going to go away. And it's just how, how are you going to look at even those problems that aren't going to go away? Challenges, right? Because maybe problems isn't the right word. Mm -hmm. Challenges. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Number eight. Number eight, empathy and compassion. So it's the ability to be able to empathize with others and be compassionate, but not letting their problems um, 
impact you or affect you. Um, one word that I wrote behind this was boundaries, is I can be empathetic and compassionate, but I can also set boundaries. Um, empathy can be hard, right? And I think in our field, we talk about that a lot because we need to be able, we can't carry everyone's problems with us. That's where the burnout comes in. Um, so it's, I can help you for, for this time that I'm in session, but then I can put that boundary in my mind or a physical boundary and say, that doesn't have to follow me the rest of the day. So would you say this is more of an issue for parents having empathy or for children uh, having too much empathy and not having boundaries or for children having too much empathy and boundaries? I, I think it's both, right? Like pa some parents struggle with being able to set those boundaries. Um, and how do, you, how do you teach your kids how to set boundaries? So the way that we parent and the way we live is what, what our kids are going to see as examples. So when we talk about parenting resiliency, it, it really overlaps a lot because we need to think about how we handle resili resiliency because our kids are seeing that. But then our other part of it is we're teaching our kids how to be resilient as well. So do you see this a lot in, in parents, um, like li reliving their childhood through their kids? Is that what we're talking about here where parents are like, you have to be this in school because that's what I was when I was in school or where they're, they're making their personality now the children's personality and the kids aren't, um, aren't ready for that kind of responsibility. Like if I, if I don't do well, I'm going to let my parents down and now this is going to affect my parents as well. And now I don't want that responsibility because then if they do that, then they'll treat my other sisters this way and that way and, and so on. Mm, that's a good thought. Yeah, you could, yeah, you could definitely bring that in at this time. Is it the, that the parents aren't, aren't able to set boundaries on the, you know, the, way that they wanted their high school career to look like. And so now they want their kids career to look the way that they wanted theirs or their high school experience. And then it's all, yeah, it could be that. And then it's also the kids being able to say, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm okay. Not, not playing that instrument or not trying out for that thing. Cause yeah. I would actually rather try out for this thing. Yeah, that's a good thought. I know personally that was just one. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, so, what do you look from look for from the outside when you're say you're dealing teaching catechism class, and it seems like the kids aren't showing each other empathy. I mean, what are the types of things you should be looking for to see if am I? I mean, should I be concerned? What's normal, I guess? So empathy is going to be able to say, I can understand why you would be feeling that way. Um, and I can, I can provide this amount of need to you, but I don't have to let my day be impacted because of that thing that's going on in your life. So it's just that understanding about why you would feel that way. It's not necessarily a, a, 
the sympathy of I feel that way too because yes all right number nine last one um lack of victim mentality this is like a loaded one I should have just kept this one out <laughs> So explain that. <laughs> Simply put, it's when when am I a victim and when am I not? Right? What is the difference between being a victim and being victimized? Um, do you, would would it be okay to say like this is one thing that we see in society a lot? Yeah. I, what I was couldn't me? achieve this. Yeah, I couldn't achieve this because of all of these things that happened to me. And I think that that's that trait of resiliency is just because these things are happening to me does not mean that I need to stay in this place. It it doesn't have to stop me from growing or doing the thing I want to do. So what I'm hearing you say is that if someone is um, is having a victim mentality, they can't. They can't bounce back because it's now all of these things have happened to me. Woe is me. And now the, the walls are coming in and all of those things where uh, this as uh, someone who is resilient and identifies in what areas have I been wrong, but then also is also using these other eight to say, what can I control? What can't I control? Uh, how, 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 uh, how can I, can I see this as a challenge or is this a permanent thing and, and so on? Mm-hmm. Am I going to look at it as something that will pass? And you know, how can I how can I think about it differently so that way I don't have to stay in that victim place? Yeah. Okay, I was yeah, waiting for for Dave to say something, but he was thirsty. He wanted some coffee. <laughs> this is this has been a great conversation. Um, we we definitely have not talked about all the things we wanted to talk about so um we will have to set up a time to talk more about tools that parents can consider using to better their resiliency um and their kids resiliency i think this would be a a good follow-up i think this gets us all our listeners started on the topic of what truly is resiliency um maybe to help them to see the the tools the the tools that they have available. They have their pastor, they have their Christian um, family solution counselors, uh, their kids have that if they're going to Manitowoc Lutheran High School or Fox Valley Lutheran. Um, the counselors aren't just there for the, the big things, um, you know, but they are there to help our kids manage all of these things, which to them may be big things. Um, and so let's, um, let's close up. Any closing thoughts from Rochelle and Dave? And then we'll, we'll close out the show. I guess just to give Rochelle the last word, I would say, um, especially with teens, if it's a big thing to you, it's a big thing. You know, talk to somebody about it. You know, address it, deal with it. You know, don't minimize what you're going through because you don't think it's a big deal. You know, this is why we have brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the, the people have... We've gone through it. We've all been there, you know, and, and we want to help out. 
And, and I know that I've heard a lot of people say, a lot of teens say, um, oh, I, I can't tell this to, you know, uh, faculty at a, a Lutheran elementary school because, oh, they'd never understand or, you know, they'd be shocked. <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> Believe me, they've heard worse. Um, you know, they're not naive. They're not unworldly. They're not any of that. You know, they, they took the call because they understand teens and they do love them and want to help out. And that's what they're there for. Yeah. And so even talking about this today, right, it's about gaining information and saying, where can I maybe do better? So one of the things that I was thinking about even, even as we were going over them is what is the one one trait that I want to focus on and figure out how to do better, right? Is because it's we're setting that example for our kids. And then maybe even identifying in our kids what is one trait that maybe they're not as strong in. Because I think we can see like, oh yeah, these are these are more easy for me. These are the ones that I struggle in more. And so it's just about thinking about if I can get stronger in even one more of these traits, it's just going to make me that much more resilient as a parent, right? Or show my kids what how to be resilient, but then also even knowing how to interact or talk with your kids to help them think about one of these traits and helping them strengthen that as well. And, and Pastor Endorf isn't wrong, right? Like we don't want people to be carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. Um, and so it is definitely okay to talk with whoever you feel comfortable with. And going back to what Pastor Rudat said, God asks us to be in a community and there's a reason for that. So, you know, sometimes I even get relief just talking to a, another parent. Like, yeah, this is something that's going on in our house. And then they're Oh yeah, us too. I'm like, oh really? Because I felt like I was we were the only family that was dealing with that. You know, and, and even that is even that simple thing, right? And so just being able to reach out to whoever you need to. All right. Thank you very much. Um, I guess I'm gonna take the last word and uh, just say uh, uh thank you again, Rochelle, for joining us. Thank you, Dave, for joining us from across the river there in Minnesota. And until next time, talk about Real Life Living Faith, uh, Casting Nets Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, and we hope to uh, talk to you again. If you have watched or listened to this podcast, we in invite you to listen to the other show. Uh, Rochelle has actually been on our show before to talk about uh, teen mental health, and so look that up on our webpage or on our YouTube page. Until then, Real Life Living Faith, thank you. God bless your day. <laughs>